Alright, we're back. It does feel like it's been a couple weeks since we last spoke. I think I think that's because I watched a lot of stuff uh, in particular this week. And I was thinking maybe like a lot of stuff just came out. But I just watched a lot of old old video content. Um, but yeah, good to be back. How you guys been? Good, man. It's a lot going on in the world, so it feels like longer than two. <laughs> it does. Scott, what's new in uh, cable television, Scott? Well, uh, speaking of cable television, I was watching We Need to Talk About Cosby, which was on Showtime. Uh, what is that? It's about Bill, uh, it's about, it's a uh, W. Uh, Camille Bell, his documentary he did for Showtime about uh, Bill Cosby, revealing it's a four-part documentary series uh, offering a you know, deep, personal exploration of Bill Cosby's descent of America's dad to alleged uh, sexual predator. And they interviewed various people that were actors that were allegedly um, people that he had um, interactions with and also people that worked with him on the show. Is he still alive or is he still in jail? Or both? Bill Cosby is is still alive. Yes, he's, he's alive and apparently well. And uh, th- what was interesting is that they, of course, had a storyline for the documentary. So he was in jail. Then as they're in a studio recording interviews, Cabral Bell uh, real- uh, finds out that Bill Cosby was exonerated. And uh, he's not felt innocent, but he was let out of jail. So they're like, okay, I don't know what how He's like, I don't know how this, what we're going to do now because the story has now changed and they were like he's gonna be in jail and end it wait so he's out of jail or is he in jail he's out of jail right now but he's oh, still wow. being charged he's still being charged on various other uh, cases he's not innocent i think i mentioned last week i, f- I felt like there's documentaries just coming up coming out about every little thing and this kind of falls into that category a little bit because he's so irrelevant at this point uh, to the point where I even forgot whether he was alive or not, but obviously his work is 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 kind of iconic. So I and I guess the victims um, wanted to speak out. I don't know what's the point. Like, what's the takeaway? Like t- twenty years later, it was it was not only because it wasn't a documentary. Julia, what he what caused them to do what he did. It's just how he was able to get away with what he what he allegedly did for so long. Oh, interesting. And even when he was even when people were coming forward uh saying uh what bill cosby what claiming what he did they were still nbc was still trying to create a deal to do a revival uh sitcom like he was still able to defend himself and everyone just thought this is bill cosby he's he's america's dad and it didn't matter what they were completely ignoring what people were claiming he did that's kind of what that's the story for every case like this. The celebrity is just bigger than life itself. All the victims get shut shut down and silenced until it just sort of begins to mount up, or they kind of fall from not fall from grace, but sort of fall out of the spotlight spotlight a little bit, and people are more willing to to criticize them or look more deeply into who these people really are or were. He was still going around and like acting like everything was normal when these stories started breaking for a while, right? Before, like, it went to trial or whatever. Right. He was still alive. Like, still, yeah, still, like, uh, playing it off like nothing was happening. 
But is this the first documentary about him to come out? I don't know, but it was one. Um, is that I don't remember any any other ones before? No, I think there. If there was, it wasn't necessarily completely well known. But it was it was produced last year. I'm like, well, well I'll I'll want to check it out. The other one I watched was the uh, Jared Fogel documentary, which was produced by Discovery. That the one we discussed last week. Yes. And that was kind of the same thing. It was the same type of storyline that here's this guy who has a story, but then behind the scenes, he's actually something that he's not. That guy was, I mean, not to, not to minimize Bill Cosby, but I feel like that guy was, he had, man, he had some closet nobody knew about. That guy was in deep, wasn't he? Yes. He was asking too many of the wrong questions. (laughs) Um, and like his computer was just full of like really, really inappropriate pornography and mm-hmm. um yeah, I remember when that news broke in like what mid two thousands, late early twenty no, like late two thousands, right? Mid to late. Everyone was stunned, really. Because he was on television so much. Like his his um campaign about losing weight and he had been on T V for so long too. Everyone kind of knew this guy. So it was a big deal when he got busted. I was watching the things, but those are the two more of the things that stood out other than my usual regular shows I've been watching. Nice. Pedro, you've been on the sports documentary. Yeah, so in honor of March Madness, the NBA season winding down, the World Baseball Classic, I've been watching some sports documentaries. Uh, The latest one I watched was Operation Flagrant Foul about a referee scandal i want to say in the early to mid 2000s yeah i'd say so was he taking bribes or was he what's his story he was working with uh local he was working with a friend who the friend had a connection with like a guy that was had mob ties um to running a gambling ring and because the ref had inside information as to like oh, what players might be out that day or like just things like, oh, this referee is refing this game and he doesn't like this particular player and he always gives that player bad calls. He sort of had some sort of inside information on how the game would lean. So he would just uh, give his picks to his friend who would uh, put in bets for this mob guy. And, uh, yeah, they made a lot of money, millions, millions. The FBI got in on it and everything. So it was interesting. And that's an interesting series about, uh, just weird things and bad things that happen in sports. Um, I've seen, uh, two other episodes from the series. Uh, one of them was the girl that the girlfriend that didn't exist about, uh, Manti Teo, a college football and then NFL player was like one of the first people ever to get catfished. I remember that story. Yeah, he, he had a he had like a long term relationship, quote unquote, uh, online with this person that he thought was uh, a girl from like his high school back in uh, Hawaii uh, or his cousin's uh, high school. I don't remember which one. Uh, but yeah, it turned out that it was a dude like his age um, that was catfishing him the whole time, and like he. It turned into a big deal because he like 
he was playing like some important college football game and like he dedicated it to yeah. a person who was like sick in the hospital supposedly um it's just you gotta watch it to see like how it unravels it's it's a crazy story fun watches just on a sports binge recently um i didn't watch a lot of documentaries recently i did watch a lot of movies last night i watched a movie on hbo max called ingrid goes west it's with aubrey plaza and elizabeth olsen um surprisingly good and and uh o'shea jackson who i believe is ice cube's son mm-hmm. he's in it too um but it's about like this this uh girl in like her mid-20s 30s who's obsessed with um she becomes obsessed with certain influencers on on, on uh instagram and basically wants to wants to be their best friend wants to I- idolizes their entire life um and she goes through these cycles, and now the most recent cycle is with Elizabeth Olsen's influencer character, and they kind of look at it from both sides, like you know how Instagram influences people, but also like how phony influencers might be, um, and then ultimately, obviously, it comes crashing down. Um, but it, it's pretty good. It's worth it's worth a watch, I'd say, uh, and it's nice and short. It's like an hour and a half. Did you seek that movie out or was it something that you were just like looking for something to watch and it caught your interest? Yeah, just- we kind of watched it just like spur of the moment. We were just looking for something to watch and that that showed up in the the movie section on HBO. So we, we watched it. It's by this um, production company, Neon, which I'm seeing a lot of now. Like I'm wondering if they're like the new A24. You know, obviously very different styles in, in the movies that they decide to produce, but it's another one of those. Yeah, um, they have been they've been popping up in a few things I've been watching. Yeah, it was good. I recommend it. It's short. Um, it's pretty good. It's pretty funny. It's a dark comedy. It it it, it can be really dark. I'd say O'Shea Jackson kind of like unexpectedly steals the show for me. He's he plays like a just like kind of a nerd who wants to be a screenwriter. He's like in love with Batman. He's all about Batman. Um, he's vaping all the time. <laughs> it's pretty cool. Tends to do that. He tends to, like he seems to get cast in roles you wouldn't expect, but like surprisingly enough, like pulls them off really well. Yeah, that's the kind of roles he should be. I think people should be taking roles that orky roles like. Yeah, where viewers may not expect you just to show you got range and you can sort of. I like that. That was really good. Very light, light viewing. I want to skip ahead to the shows or our, our featured content for the week. We. We wanted to watch Triangle of Sadness, and we wanted to watch Lucky Hank, which actually premiered last night, or was it the night before? The night before, right? Sunday. On AMC, if if you want to watch the first episode, it's free on the AMC app if you missed it live. I liked it a lot. I think I've also been watching, like, um, what's his name? Bob Odenkirk for, like, 10 straight years as, as Saul Goodman. Um, so I wanted to see what else he can do. And I know he, he, he's like a funny, very actor as well. He has a comedic background. I liked him a lot in this. It was created by, uh, one of the producers from The Office. Uh, Bob Odenkirk basically plays the chair of an English department at a small school, small university or college. And they're pretty, it's pretty clear that they're underfunded as he has a conversation with, with the dean about, um, getting certain finances. 
And I think he's at a point in his career where he's pretty comfortable. Um, and the show begins in a pivotal moment in his career where he has this confrontation with a student. Um, and then you later realize that it's probably triggered by uh, him hearing about his father's retirement, which he has like an estranged relationship with. Uh, we don't really know the depths of whatever that conflict may be, but his his life kind of starts to spiral a little bit uh, and affecting the people around him. Uh, Scott, I know you saw it. What did you think of the first episode? I love the various characters that were various professors. Mm-hmm. They all have all they all have their own weird quirks. And I'm not going to go too far into it, but I love that there was a moment where they had to make a decision on something, and the whole entire like Wall was like very obsessed with the process. Yep, <laughs> and they're oh like, God, yeah. It's like, why are we, do we really have to make this so formal? And they're like, yes, we have to make it formal. And then once they go through the whole process, the whole thing was for nothing. <laughs> right, 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 right. Yeah, it's like, okay, I guess, I guess that was a waste of time. Like everyone like has this attitude where they don't give a crap about anything until they have to give a crap about something. And like, why we have to bother with caring? A lot of people, it was, there were a lot of people that were fairly, fairly recognizable uh yeah in in the series one person that was very quickly recognizable was susan crier um who was actually in uh a, a series that i recognized from 2014 that was on hbo silicon valley uh she played one of the main investors uh, yeah yeah show. she was like a very ro- robotic role in that show which is pretty much she was like in this show yeah, but, kind of. Yep. But she had more. She was more like trying to create a situation, unlike before. She was very robotic, and the other. But I think she's done quite a bit since Silicon Valley. But there was also, I think, Oscar Nunez is from, I believe, The Office, right? Yeah, really happy to see him uh, get work in a series like this. He was good. He didn't have like a ton of heavy lifting to do acting wise, but it's just good to see him on screen again. And Diedrich uh, Bader, uh, I think he was, um, he's been in quite a few things, but he sort of has been missing in action. Who is that? Is that the guy that he plays racquetball with? I think so. Oh, yeah. He's been in a ton. He's one of those guys, like, you don't know his name, but you've seen this guy everywhere. He's that, he's a, a that guy. Oh, that guy. All right. Uh, yeah, he's, he's been in other stuff. And he always has that face. He doesn't really seem to age very much. Yeah, he gets work. I guess he stays yeah. busy. Did you catch where the show takes place? Like, what city, town they're in? That's what I was looking for. I didn't really. They catch. did show a license plate, but I wasn't. I didn't really care to go back to look at it to know uh, to know where it takes place. But they did show a license plate. One of the interesting things I, f- I I thought about the show is like he's at a point in his career where he can leave. So he hates this small town. He hates the fact that he teaches at this mediocre school. But something is holding him back from leaving. So he he won't leave. Um, and again, like it's only the first episode. I'm really curious to find out what what is going on there. Because he does get into a pretty serious exchange with his wife, who is, I think, applying for a job in New York and excited to go. But um, he, he doesn't really relent in that regard. So it creates some friction. I'm sure because he feels, com- he feels comfortable, but, you know, 
that's also part of it, I'm sure. Yeah, he, he definitely feels, and maybe now he feels uncomfortable because he does, so he reads in the newspaper that his dad is retiring. His dad, I think, was like a, is a famous author. And there's a shot that is uniquely different from every other shot in the show is when he gets a call from his father's secretary. Um, and it, it does like a very fast push in to a close up on him and everything around him kind of like the sound gets muffled. It, 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 it's like a very isolating kind of shot. And then someone bumps into him and it kind of like returns back to normal. I thought that was really cool, really well done. The show, it's shot really well. The location is is really nice. Um, their home is is beautiful. It's just like a nice sort of like low stakes comedy, but serious at times kind of show. Um, I think it is a, a bit of a slow start. I found this to be a bit of a slow start, but it does plant the seeds there. Um, and maybe it's just one of those that may take a while to sort of really hit its stride. Are you, is it a show, Scott, that you're going to sort of stick with, or are you just like kind of one and done? No, I'm definitely going to st- stick with it because I will. I thought a lot was covered in the first episode. It just made me, all right, it, there was enough content that it made me feel like, all right, is there enough to go on to an episode two? But that's where that's up to the writers to come up with that. Yeah, to, yeah. Uh, in an hour episode but i do have to say if it's a show that makes me not want to have my phone in front of me or my computer in front of me because a lot of times i'll watch tv with my computer on my lap doing stuff yeah it's probably a show i can pay attention um without having to stare at the whole time i had everything closed to the side so it had my attention and i think it's only eight episodes i think i read that somewhere um yes which i like short and sweet um I'm going to stick with it. I have to figure out what I'm going to do with this AMC Plus because um, I'm not going to subscribe to that. So I have to figure out a way to watch the show. Maybe I'll wait until it's done. What you got to do is wait, wait for all the episodes to come up and then subscribe to like YouTube. Get the free trial. Get the free trial for a month. Yeah, exactly. Do that. Yeah. Subscribe for a month and then you can can get access to it. Pedro, are you going to give it a shot or are you just... Not He's convinced. been a little bit quiet. Uh, I'm going to give it a shot, yeah. <laughs> Tell us why you didn't watch it. Just uh, even though uh, the first episode is free, I just didn't feel like signing up for another free app and then forgetting about it and then getting charged after the seven-day trial. And you got to cancel right away, right on your phone. That being said, our next featured film... Triangle of Sadness. Triangle of Sadness was really good. I think it was really, it was much better than I expected. I watched it twice um, because I told my wife how good it was and she then wanted to uh, to watch it with me. That's a long Um, one to watch twice. That's a big commitment. It is. I liked it. I liked it. You know what? I like movies that are just like, Here's a long scene in one setting, and then here's another long scene in another setting, and then I can kind of like, I don't know. It, I feel I like agree. it's easier to follow versus constantly like scene changes, and, and um, the pacing was was pretty good. You can easily follow along. Um, but it's basically a dark comedy about 
some super, super rich folks on a yacht who then get stranded on a deserted island and it's sort of their wealth, their, you know, this what makes them successful becomes obsolete and then they become powerless. So that's kind of what it, the film is about. Um, but in between all that, it's it's very interesting. It has really interesting characters. So that's kind of why I liked it because it's very, it's very kind of easy to understand, but you can always dig in more uh, into into the film. Um, any initial takes sort of just from like immediate reactions after watching it from you guys? I felt the cinematography was really good, but I the thought dance. too much of a good thing is not, it doesn't have the longevity because yes, I thought that I, I liked that there were the long scenes, but I, I felt like it was kind of like a gimmick. It was the, the way the whole movie was. Which it felt like seeing. It felt like the scene a lot of times were too long. That they the story very lent to like silence. They loved silence, right? But I feel like the sounds could have been like reduced, and then the movie maybe would have not been two and a half hours plus. Um, yeah, it's so a slow film. It, it it truly felt like they were dragging anchor if we're using boat terms. Yeah, I mean it. it the the length, you know, I. I didn't. I didn't mind the life of the movie, um, but it, it it just continues that whole build up narrative with these types of movies, and you know you you feel like they're, they're like a slow sinking ship, you know. Yeah, there was. So the they break it. They break the film down into three, I think, acts or chapters. The first open. Well, it opens kind of was like a behind the scenes or a documentary about this um, model sort of, um, what do you call it? Like a auditions. Auditions. And that's where we kind of, we introduced to our main character, Carl, who is kind of like a, a failing model, right? It's noted that he hasn't worked in about three years um, since, you know, his some perfume ad. But, you know, it kind of makes fun of it. It looks at like, you know, they specifically mention Balenciaga and H&M and like Balenciaga is represented. They they say this like outright is like a brand that looks down on its customers. And H&M is a brand that is very inclusive and everyone is smiling and having fun. And they sort of contrast like the rich versus the poor brands. They outright just say that. Um, so that kind of introduces the theme of the film very early, whether you realize it or not. There was a, if you notice that the, during the fashion show scene, uh, when everyone was asked to move their seat left, like, cause the three people sat down, they're like, oh no, we're a party of four. So everyone needed to move one there during the pan, following the whole audience standing up and moving, if you looked closely, you would see that there was a single seat that was not taken in the middle of the row. So it made, if you really were looking, it was unnecessary for Carl to be pushed off at the edge to move to one of the seats all the way in the back. <laughs> However, it makes, you know, it makes sense that the audience has to simply obey the usher, not even questioning. And I would be like the words like, excuse me, my tuchus is in this seat. And then there's like that interesting conversation about who's paying the bill with Carl and his girlfriend, who's also a model. Yeah, yeah. That scene made me so uncomfortable. It it was it was a great scene, man. Like you you just felt 
you know, you just felt like, damn, that's a crazy situation to be in. Because it was so honest. And I found myself like rooting for Carl. I don't think he kind of like won the scene, meaning like his character. I don't think he got what he wanted from that, from that conflict. But yeah, it's, it's pretty uncomfortable. It's very slow. Um, and it builds up, but I think it's like two characters, at least Carl having a very honest conversation and yeah, yeah. Um, just playing him the whole time until the very end. Yeah. It kind of made me hate her at the beginning when that, since that scene is in the beginning of the movie. It kind of like made her out to be like the snotty one, like the bad guy. Like, but as the movie progresses and the the tables turn, she actually becomes really likable at the end, and she kind of knows her role in society. You know, like when she's in the beginning, she's in this upscale like world and everything, and then when the shipwreck happens and the tables turn, she kind of you know, straps up her boots and becomes like a worker and stuff. So she, she was, I really liked her character. I was scared that the elevator that they were, that she was in, it was going to break every, because he kept on making the door open and close, <laughs> open and close. I'm like, how is the, how is that door reopening again? <laughs> like all the doors shut completely. And then the team opens, like breaks the doors open. It's like once the doors close, they lock. It's, it's, it's not going to reopen by just opening up yourself. I definitely thought like they were going to break up after that, after the elevator thing. Like I was surprised that like he, he just came into her room or she came into his room and they just like made up like nothing happened. I thought I was like, that looked like something serious enough to break up a relationship over. He threw 50 euros down the elevator. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, wow. Um, but at the end of that, I don't know where she goes. She 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 said like she couldn't fall asleep on the chair or something, so she came. She back took a walk. She tried to sleep on a couch, but she realized that a couch is not fit for her. But she tells him like when he's talking about you know this this construction of male and female roles in modern society and how he just wants them to be equal, and she's like, well. I'm, a, you know, she basically says I'm a model. If I get pregnant, I can't work. So I want someone who's going to take care of me ultimately. And I think she, she sees their relationship more of, as like a convenient transaction, uh, being that they're both models. It's just kind of working right now. And she ultimately tags. She she brings him along to this trip that she uh, got a free ride to, which is like this boat ride on this super rich yacht with a bunch of sh super rich Russians and, and Europeans. Um, I think that scene opens with the yacht staff hyping themselves up to make as many tips as possible by catering to these idiotic billionaires. Yeah, that pep uh, talk. That pep talk is wild, right? They make them look like uh, like animals almost. It was very, very raw. Gotta get those tips. Gotta get those tips. And then there's a scene too. It cuts from, they're making so much noise that it then cuts to the staff underneath. Like the lower class folks. On the hierarchy, they the lower end. And I didn't know that because I, I've never been on a cruise or a ship or anything like that. And I didn't know that's how it works. But, you know, I was talking to someone who recently went on a cruise and they were explaining to me also how like, the rooms, like the cheapest rooms are on the bottom at like the more expensive oh, really? rooms. 
top. Like, you know, can get a window on the bottom. On the top, you got like a balcony and stuff. So, okay. sometimes you know the accommodations. If you're buying the cheapest room, it's even worse than being in a jail cell because at least a jail cell has a window with yeah. bars. Yeah, it's not. It, it's not worth it at all. That, that's what I've learned. Like what? It, that, I, I, that was, you know, I guess being on this ship or this cruise, this yacht, this super yacht, this just was the perfect setting for uh for the story the director was trying to tell where you know he flips the hierarchy, you know, and mm-hmm. the lower class becomes the ones in charge. Like I just thought this was the perfect setting for it. I just want to talk about a few scenes that really stood out to me. One was the nutella helicopter fly-in because it gives you like 10 minutes or 15 or 20 i can't tell before it really pays off so you see basically like a yellow briefcase being flown into the to the yacht and then a couple of scenes later you see the the russian guy someone comes up to him and opens you know you see like the kitchen staff opening up the case and it's just the three cases of nutella uh, just so this guy can put it on his toast or his 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 wife or whoever, so it, that is just like tells you like how rich these guys are without really telling you. And then there's another scene where I think it's uh, the French woman is insistent that everyone go on the water slide, all of the staff. That was an that was another scene that just was <laughs> making really uncomfortable. You know, like at least I felt uncomfortable for the for, for the, the uh, young woman. For the young woman that was the staff there, like imagine being in that situation. Like, what do you do? You're not supposed to do that, right? And it's like this super rich person is gets whatever they want, no matter what. How do you tell someone like that no? And she does say no. You're you're not supposed to say no to anything, right? So when she says no, and she's like, "Did you just say no to me?" and I think her face, serial reactions during that whole scene, like you can see her head. I mean, the acting is so good because you feel like you can see the character's head like malfunction, almost like she, the robot just got broken. Um, and then ultimately, yeah. There were a, there was a lot, a lot of uh, great facial expressions and body language without saying anything in this movie. The whole puking scene was insane because it just never ended. Um, it it went it, on a lot of and then it got more absurd and more absurd. <laughs> it's yeah. Like, it just got so absurd. And then ultimately... Uh, and it turned into shedding after puking. Yeah. I was trying to figure out, like, is this some sort of, like, visual metaphor for, you know, a transition of when, like, the wealthy and the working class sort of switch roles? Like, is this puking? The ship is, like, uh, going through the storm. Yeah, I couldn't really articulate it, but I felt like that kind of was was the turning point for for the story there. Um, it was very obvious that the people were not from New Jersey because we're stronger than the storm. As in plus, was the was the was all of this caused by uh, was it by the the ship moving and the motion sickness, or was there also like poisoning involved? No. So what happened was. Because there were the scene be- there was a scene before this where they asked the chef, the master chef, to come up or something. Right. Says, for the water slide. Yeah, if he leaves for fifteen minutes, the food's gonna go bad or something like that. My understanding that it's actually gonna go bad or like that it's not gonna be 
you know, perfect because he's not there. That could be it. That's actually a good point. I didn't think about that. My interpretation was um, <clears throat> there are a couple of scenes where um, the captain is is sort of drunk in his cabin and when they're trying to set up the captain's dinner, um, the woman goes, you know, you can do the captain's dinner any day except Thursday because we're expecting a storm. And then he's like, oh, Thursday? Yeah, Thursday works. So they he locks in the captain's dinner for Thursday, which is when the storm is incoming, hence like all the waves and all... That's why the ship is like completely fucked at that point. And I thought that everyone just got seasick because the storm was like way too much while they were eating at the same time. Um, the only one that really coped with it was the captain himself who seemed to be pretty unbothered by by what was happening. And the Russian billionaire guy. He, and the Russian yeah, billionaire, bombs. yeah. I like. I also like that the captain got the got the hamburger or the cheeseburger. Because yeah, it just shows like how separate he is from that whole world. Like he's aware of himself, and he's like, "Yeah, I'm just I'm not into fine dining." So <laughs> he gets he gets the burger. I feel like we could spend a lot of time just talking about scenes. I want to jump a little bit to the end when Abigail, who is you know in the movie the toilet cleaner, basically on the island, she is the one that um, becomes the leader because she can she can fish. She can cook. She can make fire. Um, so they depend on her for their survival. They try to like bite her off, but you know all of that material stuff is kind of worthless. So she she becomes the leader, and ultimately at the end, you know, spoiler alert: at the end we find out that these guys are on, have been on on like the back end of a resort island the whole time. Um, I think that that was surprise. That was cool. I thought that was cool. Um, but she becomes corrupted by her power, right? Uh-huh. Um, when when Yaya discovers that they're on a resort and she sees the elevator with the techno music bumping, she's like, "Hey, we can just take this and go go upstairs and be be done." And she hesitates, and ultimately, we don't see her killing Yaya, but it's insinuated uh, that that she's doing that. What did you guys think of that that sort of heel turn, where like? You know, you have this woman who is treated poorly on the ship and then she kind of rises to power. So you're rooting for her. But then you realize that she is also corrupted by the power. Well, I think the heel turn sort of happened earlier than that um, when she uh, basically got Carl to be like her boy toy. Is it? Um, I, I, I didn't like that because, like you said, I was rooting for her when the tables turned and she became the leader and she was, like, providing for everyone. And then she just, like, starts taking advantage of this dude. And I was, I didn't like that, but I understand that it was to to show the, uh, how power can corrupt anybody, you know, the most humble person. It was a little cringy. Yeah. Like I like I I kind of wanted her to just be like really good and set an example and not do that, but yeah, that's how things turned out. Yeah, uh, I thought that was good too. And there were a couple of hints that they were on a resort. Uh, well, I think just one it was basically like the donkey that they find and kill. Um, because I was like, there wouldn't be a donkey on an island. It would be like a, I could get a boar. A boar yeah, that's what I thought they kept hearing that first, like a big wild boar. No, it was a donkey. 
And I watched it and I was like, that's so strange. Why would they put a donkey here? And I kind of let it go. But then you see the woman who is, um, uh, the disabled woman who can't walk. She sees this like African guy like uh, peddling wares, right? Yeah, I think that was the big reveal right there. Yeah, but I was like, is she hallucinating? Because it, yeah. the image showed up where he was like very blurry and in the distance, and then he came With closer. No one else saw him, and no one else saw him. Yeah, exactly. Um, but then the last scene of the whole film is Carl running towards Yaya at full speed, and I think that's because that African guy made it to the beach where those guys were, and he re- everyone realized that they were on you know a resort or somewhere else. So he went to ultimately save her. I don't know if he knew that Abigail would kill her. Or... I was like, yeah, this is... Uh... It delivered. I-, I thought the movie really delivered. My expectations were kind of none, other than this is an Oscar-nominated film, so I guess it's going to be good, but I didn't know anything about the plot or, or anything going into it. Yeah, it was a fun ride. It was a fun ride. It, uh... it, it, uh... it lived up to ex- expectations and went above and beyond um, there was some, while I was researching the movie, there was some tragic news that I heard, which is the actress who plays Yaya passed away this past summer. She died. Really? Yeah, Charles B. Dean. She was 32 years old. She died from a, I can't pronounce this, but like bacterial sepsis. It, she's had like some, some uh, problematic health issues before, and then it just something kind of, um, she got sick and it just deteriorated. So it's, this was her first major film. And she was, she was a real model in real life, right? Like that's how she was cast and everything. I think so. I think she was. Oh, that's sad. Yeah. But that said, so like this director, he kind of makes these movies. Um, and I think this is kind of his style. They're very slow. They're very human focused, uh, yeah, I need to watch The Square because I've seen Force Majeure and now I've seen Triangle of Sadness. So I'm really interested in The Square now after this. And I learned that Triangle of Sadness refers to like the little space between like your eyes and your forehead. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's the, those, those frail lines. Um, so that's where that term kind of comes from. Uh, I think I, I heard the director sort of talk about that. What did you guys think about them inserting the pirate into the castaway island scene? That was that was I thought that was a funny little thing to do. Put that in there because he's neither like the lower working class staff on the ship, and he's not the rich people. He's just like this outsider that from a different background that was thrown in there. Yeah, and I think we don't know what he is. He says he worked in the engine room, but maybe he is a pirate. It never really gets resolved. I I got that he was a pirate. I mean, they had him wearing like the kafia thing that over his face, and you'd think a pirate would cover their face and head with. Like everything was leading towards, was trying to encourage you to think that he was a pirate, but we never saw him raid raid the ship, did we? So we we don't know for sure. They didn't show it. Um, I said it's trying to tell you to not, you know, can't really judge anyone. 
or once you've lost everything and you're stranded on an island, how do you judge a book by its cover? You know, like the rich people are are in the same situation as the staff and you don't know what this pirate might be. See a pirate or not. Right. And I think they leave it open-ended. So you kind of, you know, I think if you're have more of a suspicious kind of mindset, maybe you lean towards he's a pirate. If you're, if you're, you know, way more liberal, more open-minded, you might want to defend him and be like, well, he's, he was definitely in the engine room. I saw him. <laughs> right. It kind of just leaves it up to you, which is pretty cool. I'm going to leave it there. Two really good viewings this week in uh, Lucky Hank and Triangle of Sadness. We'll try to nail it again next week. All right, guys, we'll see you next time.